Well, I know uh, some of you really love watching movies, and there are a few good movies out there. Um, But I'm wondering this morning if any of you, after you get done watching the movie, you stay in your seat as the screen goes black and the names start rolling up. Do you stay and read all of those names? Who does that? Anybody do that? Does anybody do that? I mean, who, who would do that, right? Nobody does that, right? Well, I bring that up because as we get to the end of the book of Colossians, it may seem like a little bit um, watching the credits at the end of a movie. And you may think, well, nobody actually reads that stuff either. But I think we should because it introduces us to people who were significant in the early church. And as we do that, we find some significant characteristics about the early church, which uh, is helpful for us today. Uh, we're going to read verses 2 through 18, and you'll notice there's a lot of names in here, and I'm going to try to get them right. I'll do my best to do so. Uh, chapter 4, verses 2 through 18, but then we'll talk about and dig in a little bit to the people behind this list of names. Colossians chapter 4, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, You've received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, Mature and fully assured, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So the the Christian church in Colossae is in many ways typical of other churches and our own, I believe. And the body of Christ has some distinct characteristics about it, regardless of what time period it's in or its location. And within these verses, I believe we find 
some distinct characteristics of the church, the early church and what is to be our church as well. And so we're going to look at the end of this letter. Uh, We're not going to skip over this section of Scripture because we believe that all of God's Word is written for a purpose, right? And sometimes that purpose springs off the page and we see it clearly. Other times it takes some digging. And I think this section takes a little bit of digging. So we're going to dig into that because we believe that God's Word has purpose here. So what are the characteristics of the body of Christ that we see here? First of all, uh, there are examples of faithfulness. We see that very clearly. Among those people who had worked alongside Paul, there are those who have given themselves to be faithful in service. First notice the name of Tychicus. Paul says in verse 7, he's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And if you read the New Testament, uh, Tychicus' name uh, appears five times. Once in the book of Acts, once in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, his letter to Titus, and then his second letter to Timothy, and then here in Colossians. And in each case that Paul brings up his name, we see Tychicus working, serving, laboring with Paul for the Lord. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you see some Tychicus-type people right here in our church family, in our church body? I do. We have them. Um, Every church has a few, and every church needs even more. Um, But I want you to think about this church family, this church body, And who is it that comes to mind when you think about faithful service? And if people do come to your mind, then I would encourage you to talk to them and thank them. They're not doing it for your thanks, but but it's worth recognizing that they're faithful people. And so talk to them, encourage them, thank them for being Tychicus-type people. We see Onesimus also listed in the credits here. He's also a faithful and dear brother. And he just gets a brief mention here, but we know that he's the subject of an entire book, that of Philemon. Um, And that's where Paul writes a letter uh, to a slave owner whose name is Philemon, because one of his slaves, whose name is Onesimus, had run away from his master. He had come to Paul, and in the process, Onesimus had found a new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me that the name Onesimus means useful. Because Paul says in Philemon verse 11, Formerly he who was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And so a runaway slave has become a servant of Christ. He's proven himself faithful in service to the Lord and to his church. And likewise, in every congregation... There are people whose lives are aimless. They don't know what their purpose is. But then you will see that some of them become most useful when the Lord captures their hearts and they become faithful in service to Him. And so again, think about this church family. Who have you seen faithfully serving? Who has uh, been captured by the Lord and is a servant of His? And thank them for being so. This passage is the only place where we meet a man named Jesus, who's also known as Justice. Uh, Verse 10 says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barabbas. 
You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. And so all we really know about this Jesus or Justice is that he shares the name of his Savior, and he also shares in the work of his kingdom. And so likewise, you and I, if we call ourselves Christians, we share the name of our Savior, and we're expected to share in the work of his kingdom as well. And then there's Aristarchus mentioned here. Paul calls him a fellow prisoner because that's what he is for Paul, a fellow pr- uh, prisoner. And if you look through the New Testament, you first meet him in Acts 19. And it's in the midst of uh, a riot in the city of Ephesus. And Aristarchus is one of the companions of Paul who was seized in that riot. And so his life was in danger. And in the next chapter of Acts, we see Aristarchus traveling with Paul on his mission to tell the world about Jesus. But by Acts 27, he's traveling with Paul toward a Roman prison, and they're shipwrecked on the way. And so as Acts closes, Aristarchus is with Paul. And so all along the way, all throughout the story of Paul, Aristarchus is there. And he has proved himself faithful in the midst of suffering or in trial or persecution. So again, I want to ask you to consider those in your midst here, in this church family, in this church body, who have undergone trials and persecution and difficult things perhaps, and you have seen them remain faithful all throughout it. And if you think of those people, if they come to mind, thank them for being a testimony to you of faithfulness in the midst of hardship. Of all the characters whose names scroll here at the end of Colossians or in the credits, I especially like what's said of Epaphras. Epaphras, a native of Colossae, had founded the church there while Paul was living in Ephesus. And Epaphras is also identified as a fellow servant with Paul. But I think there's another significant note about him in verse 12. Let's look at that. It says... He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Isn't that a great picture for us of a person who is kneeling so that others can stand for God? Epaphras was faithful in what we might call supplication or even intercession or this action of humbling Uh, begging God, asking God, praying for himself and others. And so within every church, there are a group of prayer warriors that you know. People that you can count on to kneel for you so that you can stand. So again, I ask you to think about those people in our midst. We have them. We have people who pray and say thank you for doing that. Thank you for kneeling for us so that we can stand. So here here are some examples of faithfulness. There are also examples, point two, of fellowship. I already mentioned Onesimus, the runaway slave who becomes a trusted brother. And our text says, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, And so I I take it from that, that he must have originally been from Colossae. 
But we see that regardless of where he's from and who he was, it's, it's not important now. Because now he's a dear brother. And so we see that in Christ Jesus, all of these differences of race, of gender, of education, of class, all these other denominators that would otherwise threaten to divide us, do not divide us. Instead, it's our relationship with Jesus Christ that unites us. And if you think about it, it's only Christ that can bring us together. But it's his plan, it's his intention to do so. That in the midst of these differences that we all have, we are united in him. That we would have true fellowship in him. Already mentioned Aristarchus, fellow prisoner with Paul, in whom Paul says he's proved to be a comfort to him. And so he's an example of fellowship as well. And, and as I think about it, you know, this word fellowship, uh, it, it's kind of a churchy word, isn't it? I mean, you don't hear many people outside of the church using that word. But even though you don't hear it often, people still need it. Because when we talk about fellowship, we're not, we're not talking about the surfacey chit-chat kind of stuff. We're talking about something deep in relationship with other people. Um, the English word fellowship comes from the old English word meaning partner. And the Greek word sympathia. And so as you think about that, don't you, doesn't each one of us want a partner? Don't we want people who are in sympathy with us, who feel with us, whether we have joy or whether we have sorrow? In the body of Christ, we can find people who value fellowship. They value faithfulness. They value fellowship. And then thirdly, they value forgiveness. We see in our text, and again, this takes a little bit of digging, but we see in our text through the names Mark and Barnabas, and what a story those names have to tell, because it's a story of forgiveness. See, Paul and Barnabas, they were a ministry team. They were a partnership. They were like uh, Batman and Robin. And those of you who are older, maybe the Lone Ranger and Tonto, but, but just an amazing partnership. And as we read their story on one of their missionary journeys, Barnabas persuades Paul to take his cousin, John Mark, with them as a helper. But John Mark must have gotten homesick because by the time they got to Pamphylia, Mark had left them, and he went back home to Jerusalem. Well, Paul and Barnabas finish the mission, and then they prepare for another journey. And at that point, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them again. But Paul refuses because Mark had left them in the previous journey. And we don't know exactly what was said here between Paul and Barnabas. might have been a sharp and heated exchange might have been a series of sharp and heated exchanges. We really don't know. But in the end, the differences between them become so great that Paul takes Barnabas and he splits the company and they go in separate ways. Uh, Or Actually, Paul chooses Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. And then those two teams go on separate journeys. Kind of a sad story, really. But by the end of Colossians, this is... Twelve years later, in verse 10, Paul notes that Mark is with him. 
And he sends his greetings to the Colossian Christians. And so in the Bible, we have the story of disagreement. We have the division between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, but we don't have the story of their reconciliation. I kind of wish that would have been in there. Those details don't appear anywhere. But we do know that it happened because of these lines here at the end of Colossians, because of these credits that are scrolling. We see that two and perhaps three men extend and receive forgiveness and that a relationship is restored and the kingdom of God is advanced because of it. And as you and I think about that today, is there a greater testimony to outsiders than forgiveness to the power of the gospel? That forgiveness is extended and pardon is received. I mean, isn't that what the gospel is about And so Paul, Mark, and probably Barnabas extend forgiveness to one another, and they're working together again. It's a beautiful picture. Is it easy? I would imagine not. We don't know the details. But again, to think about our church and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us forgive others. And what a beautiful thing that is as we continue to work together despite our differences, despite our flaws, despite all of these things that can divide us and drive us crazy. The Spirit gives us power to love, forgive, and work together, and the kingdom advances. And if we don't do that, the kingdom does not advance, right? But what a testimony to the world. What a testimony. Forgiveness. And it's a beautiful picture. So like the Colossian church, we see faithfulness, we see fellowship, forgiveness, and then finally... Friendship. Within the characters in the credits, there's two other names here I want to note. In verse 14, Paul writes, Our dear friend, Luke the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Two dear friends. One who is Luke, we identify as the doctor. And as we read through the book, not the doctor, sorry guys, uh, but, but actually a physician. Uh, as we read through the book of Acts, it would, it would appear that Paul is plagued with a number of health problems. And so it would appear that Dr. Luke joins Paul's group of missionaries. Uh, we see that in, in Troas in Acts 16, and that he travels with Paul off and on for the rest of his life. And so the implication is that Luke, our dear friend, leaves his home, leaves his family, leaves his medical practice to travel with Paul whenever Paul needs him. A reminder to us that in the body of Christ... Friendship leads people to do some sacrificial things on behalf of each other. So again, to think about our church family, to think about this context. Do we have people who do sacrificial things here? We do. Thank you. Thank you for being sacrificial. Thank you for being true friends to one another in the body of Christ. The other person noted as a dear friend here is Demas. Demas was a friend of Paul when he writes this letter. He's a a friend of Paul when he writes the letter of Philemon. But when Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, he had to note in the closing credits of chapter 4, verse 10, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. I believe this is a word of warning for us. 
Paul writes to Timothy from a cold prison cell. Probably never needed a friend more than he did then. But Demas deserts him in his hour of need. Luke was still with him. Mark was coming. But Demas was gone. And Paul says it was because Demas loved this world. And very sadly this morning, I have to say that there are others like Demas. Some of them in the church. Many of them no longer a part of the church because they have deserted. Paul says they've deserted because they love the world. They love this world more than they love the next. They love this world more than they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They love this world more than they love the church. Ultimately, they love this world more than they love the Lord, and so they desert. And so theirs is not a lasting friendship because their loyalty is to this world. And so, as I said, I think this is a word of warning to us. What do we love? What do we value? What do we treasure? There's a danger here that if we love the world, our gospel work will not go forward. It will water down how effective we are as a church. If we love the world, we may even desert or depart the Lord and His church. In conclusion this morning, let me point out one other name among the credits. It's the name of Archippus. No greeting is given to Archippus, but a message is sent to him. And from this context and the reference to him in Philemon 2, it would appear that he might have been the minister of the church in Laodicea. And and it would appear that he might have become lax in his work. And so Paul tells the Colossians to remind him to complete the job that the Lord gave him to do. Paul writes in verse 17, Tell Archippus, see to, to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know if Archippus does complete the work that the Lord had given to him. We do know there's another reference later to the church in Laodicea, which you're probably familiar with. Revelation 3, 14 and 15 talks about how the church in Laodicea is lukewarm. Lukewarm. So, another word of warning. Perhaps... The church in Laodicea became lukewarm because they followed their leader into complacency or laziness about the Lord's work. And so we know that in any church, there can be those who inhibit the work of the, of the kingdom because they don't complete the work which the Lord has given them to do. We don't want this to be true of our church. We want our love for the Lord to reign out over all things. We want to see what He has prepared for us, the gifts, the passions that He's put on our hearts. We want to see those happening in our church. Amen? Amen. We want to show faithfulness. We want to show fellowship, forgiveness, and friendship in our lives. Now, will someone make a movie about your life or about my life? Will someone make a movie about this church? Maybe. Probably not. Will we ever be listed in the credits? Will we ever get credit for the good things that we've done in our church and in our short time here on earth? 
Probably not. And just like the credits of a movie, even if they are listed, will anyone read them? Right? But I want to tell you this morning that that's okay. That's totally okay. Because the movie is not about us. The movie is not about us. It's about God. And He's been gracious enough to give you and to give me a role in it. How awesome is that? And so my encouragement this morning is to live out God's purposes in your life and in His church. Find out how He's designed you to be. The things that you can do in the body of believers so that those who come behind us may find us faithful. So that God's plan and His story would be great as it is told in this place and as it is lived out.